You've tuned in to the App Show Podcast with Mike Agarbo and John Beeler, and we've got a great program for you today. We'll be talking about the latest updates from Google, new Pixel 7 phone, new Pixel Watch, and some new smart home gear. We'll also be talking about the European Union mandating USB-C for all electronic devices. How's that going to affect Apple? And will it uh, come over here to Canada and the US as well? And uh, Amazon bringing monthly payment plans to stuff they sell. Is this a good thing for consumers or not? We'll tell you what the interest rates are and more details. It's time to get started with the App Show podcast. I'm your host, Mike Agarbo, here with John Beeler. We've got a great program for you today. We're Canada's number one uh, mobile technology and app radio program across the Chorus Radio Network. And uh, we're going to be talking uh, all things apps and mobile today. In today's program, uh, we'll be going through some of the uh, the cool Google announcements. They've got a bunch of new uh, tech that they've announced, everything from uh, Pixel phones and watches to new uh, smart home technology uh, as well. We'll also be diving into Amazon. I think a lot of us uh, have Amazon Prime accounts or subscriptions, uh, buy a lot of stuff uh, from Amazon. I do, too much stuff. Well, they now have uh, a payment plan option. Is that good or bad? <laughs> I don't know. We'll also be uh, chatting about USB-C. That's uh, kind of the latest uh, connection standard that uh, a lot of laptops, Android phones uh, use. Apple, though, uh, they've uh, been sticking with their lightning connectors for their phones, but that uh, could be changing. The European Union is mandating that all electronic devices have this USB-C standard. What will that mean for Apple? Uh, John, let's uh, get into some of the... Uh, the app news this week, uh, Facebook, a lot of us use it. They've got over 2 billion active users worldwide. This kind of blows your mind when you think about that. Uh, they've got a new control, John. Uh, it's kind of uh, called like the show more or show less control to adjust what you see coming up on your feed. Can you explain how that kind of works? Yeah, I think this is uh, probably a decade coming. You know? Basically, show me more of what I like and show me less of what I don't like. And I, I'm not entirely sure how they uh, determine what those things should be or, or, you know, it's not like you have like, you know, because your feed is like literally like a fire hose, right? It's just all this content. And there's an algorithm that sort of decides what you're going to see. Uh, sometimes it's based on who you've interacted with uh, recently uh, or you spend the most time commenting on their stuff or liking their photos, those types of things. But also sometimes it's uh, driven by ads and other things like that. So that sort of drives what you actually see, the types of products and services you might like or be wanting to uh, advertise about those types of things. But now you actually have the ability to um, uh, control or at least let give, give, give some feedback to Facebook about, yeah, I like this. No, I don't like that. And in theory, that should alter the algorithm and sort of give you a much better experience on Facebook. I mean, they've kind of got some of those tools, John, but I think the problem I have with Facebook, it's not always easy to find them because they're not all in one place. They're kind of spread throughout Facebook. You know, as far as ads, you, I mean, you can basically tell them, uh, you know, what you don't like and what you do like, which I guess is a handy feature. But I, I do like this because there's a lot of times I'm getting uh, posts from people that I'm just not genuinely interest, interested in, right? And so it would be nice yeah. to be able to kind of turn that off or, or lessen it, if you know what I mean. 
Well, it, basically, they're trying to catch up with TikTok because TikTok has got this down pat. Basically, anything you interact with on TikTok basically feeds your algorithm. And uh, basically, you get just more of that. Uh, as you've discovered, and I think you're still on Turtle Talk, um, you get a lot of turtle <laughs> videos on TikTok. On Facebook, they want to try to give you more so you spend more time on the platform. Yeah, And uh, I, I think the ship has sailed as far as they're concerned, as far as this isn't strictly an advertising platform anymore because of all the changes that have happened with Apple and uh, data privacy and those types of things. They have to give you a reason to stick around beyond the baby photos from your family, right? And so I think this is just one more attempt at sort of catching up to what their competitors have done. And I think in a lot of cases past them as far as a, a desirable place to spend your time. And this is only going to be highlighted further when we get into things like the metaverse where people actually want to go somewhere uh and uh if it's if it's not a good place to go then people aren't going to go there and facebook and meta uh, are definitely trying to figure out how to get back onto the top of mind people let's move over to uh youtube now uh, and they're experimenting with a, a new thing john uh that's going to make 4K videos, a premium exclusive feature. So when you go on YouTube, uh, you know, the videos have different, I guess, levels of quality. Pretty well, most of them, I would say, are HD or high definition. Uh, but there is a lot that are 4K, which is kind of the next step up in quality. Uh, you know, typically on a computer screen, I, I would say that, you know, most people wouldn't really notice a huge difference uh, between the different qualities or, or maybe the better word, John, is care. Uh, but it looks like they're trying to get more subscriptions or subscribers to their, their premium monthly uh, service and, and putting these 4K videos behind, I guess, a, a paywall. Yeah, I think it, I think you, you sort of touched on the, the key point there is I think it really depends on how people are consuming their YouTubes. If you're watching it on a phone, it's probably not going to matter too much. If you're watching it on a 75-inch uh, HDTV, yeah, it might matter there but tvs are also pretty good at upscaling so uh and also bandwidth uh the 4k and higher content takes up a lot of space and if you're on a mobile connection you might not want to do that because it's a lot more data flowing through your device so i, th I think the fact that they're testing doesn't mean they've committed to it yet and i think they're going to have a bit of a backlash for people are going to be creating content specifically for the lower resolution because I think the majority of people are going to be just fine with an, an HD content uh, feed instead of paying a premium for 4K, 4K and higher. Because they're also trying to push the 8K stuff as well, which is still very limited for who actually is creating that content and who can actually consume it. I'm just wondering, though, John, like if I post a 4K video, will people that don't have the subscription still be able to see like an HD version of it or lower quality? I guess they would, right? Yeah, yeah. at least as it's currently... Uh, configured, but but again, it you know if you're looking at it on your phone, you're not going to be really be able to tell the difference. I have to tell you, I I was I subscribed to YouTube Premium for a while. I stopped because the the credit card it was attached to um, was stolen, and I just never, <laughs> <laughs> you know, had had the time or energy to go back in and <laughs> put the new credit card details. Uh, but I kind of miss it, like because I'm I'm watching a lot of YouTube videos, you know whether it's on yeah. my computer uh, or on my, my big screen TV, I, a lot of times I'll go into the YouTube app to watch videos and uh, the ads are annoying. 
after a while. And so it was kind of nice to be able to watch a lot of these YouTube videos without the ads in them. Like, I, I think I'm going to subscribe again when I get the energy. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's going to be different for everybody. But I also wonder how long until maybe that's bundled with something else too, right? Like, you know, um, when you upgrade your, uh, your, your Gmail account and you have more Google Photos storage, maybe you get a free YouTube a subscription as well. I'm I'm getting a little inundated though with subscriptions, John. It's just like everything's subscription now. Like I I don't even yeah. want to add up anymore all the monthly subscriptions I have. I, it must be in the hundreds of dollars between Amazon, no, Apple, Google. I've actually mapped them all out so I know when they're actually being charged. And I'm like, do I really need that one? Probably not. So then I go and cancel it. And then recently I just found out that I was still paying for an UMA subscription. You know, like the internet phone. That I fun like five years ago. Yeah, no, I, I literally I think I signed up five years ago, and I think I was paying like five or ten dollars a month, and I guess I never turned it off. I, I stopped using it, you know, four or five years ago, and because you know that stolen credit card I had, thankfully it was on that yeah. one, and now it's you know I'm getting all these notices from them. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> your your Uma subscription is going to run out. I'm like, oh, thank God. It's almost like gym memberships trying to cancel those things, eh? Yeah, that's the only way to cancel them is to cancel your card. Uh, this is an interesting one, John. You know, we've seen this technology in like Shazam and, and SoundHound being able to use an app to uh, have it listen to a song and then identify that song for you, which, you know, yeah. is magic to me. Well, now Deezer, which is one of these music music subscription services, probably not as well-known or popular as like Spotify or, or YouTube music. Uh, they've got a feature where you can hum a song and it, it can potentially identify it for you. Yeah, you can whistle, hum, or even sing part of the song and it will match it and you can add it to your playlist right away, like kind of like what you what you would get from Shazam. Um, but the fact that you can just hum, you know, like the chorus uh, is, it feels like magic to me. How good could that be? Because I'm thinking there's not a lot of great singers or hummers out there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like how well, accurate I mean, it's, are it's you going to be at, when you're humming this it, song? It's AI looking at waveforms. It doesn't need to be accurate though. Well, it has to be a little bit. <laughs> do you know what I mean? No, like, like you don't have to do pitch perfect recreation of the song. Yeah. I, I think the AI can really help. And there's a lot of latitude with this, I think too. So but I don't have Deezer, so I haven't been able to try it. It's also worth noting that you can actually do something kind of similar with Google if you use the Google search app on your phone. There is a way to uh, sort of do the same thing. I'll have to check that out. Google had a big announcement this week, uh, talked a lot about their uh, new Google Pixel phones and a new Pixel watch. The Pixel 7 is out, uh, and I, I think the big thing for me, John, I mean, there wasn't anything really revolutionary uh, in these new phones. Uh, obviously, better cameras, uh, better photo uh, editing capabilities, uh, but it always comes down to the uh, the price with these phones. Uh, they're, they're basically flagship quality phones for, I think, a lot less money than like the Apples and Samsungs of the world. Yeah, and, and, and at least on the Android space, these are almost the flagship devices just because they're native Android devices 
from Google. So you get all the updates right away, all the new features and a lot of exclusive features only for these devices, at least initially in a lot of cases. This is actually one of the things that um, kind of frustrates me sometimes because I have other Android phones and I can't use certain apps or features because they're exclusive to the Pixel. But um, the the kind of interesting takeaway that I got from uh, this announcement wasn't so much the phones themselves, was an interesting feature for people that have older photos that they can use the um, the AI chip, the Tensor 2 chip that's actually in these uh, new Pixel 7s uh, to unblur older photos in your Google photo library. That's kind of cool. Um, but do you, do you have a lot of blurry photos, John? Or do you just delete them? Well, I don't delete anything ever, so <laughs> I probably do. Um, but... You know, I, th- I think a lot of people do struggle with it. And, and, you know, especially if you're not a photographer, but you have a great photo of, say, a relative that's passed on or something like that, this would be a great way to sort of, you know, uh, have that and preserve that memory, um, especially on older devices where you didn't have the, you know, the anti-shake and the um, uh, all the nice features that we currently enjoy on our current smartphones. Uh, so, you know, this can go back into your older library and fix older photos, which I think a lot of people might be interested in. But wouldn't that feature just be coming to Google Photos probably within a year? Perhaps, but you can do this on the device. You don't. It's not relying on the cloud. And that's kind of the magic about the Pixel 7 is that it has this special chip on it that can do all this heavy lifting when it comes to AI and uh, machine learning and, and uh, camera tech. My prediction, John, within, within a year, it'll be available on Google Photos. <laughs> To all, to all users, uh, essentially. Um, so the pricing on these things, John, again, we're talking about, you know, the, the I think the good value on them. Uh, the Pixel 7 starts at $799, and the Pro, a little bit more money, uh, $1,179, so $1,179. So um, in many cases, cheaper than some of the other guys out there. Yeah, although still a little bit more than what we've seen from Pixel phones in the past. The Pixel phones have always been surprisingly affordable, for being a Google flagship device, maybe not quite as high spec to say like a Samsung, uh, but you know, uh, definitely a lot cheaper. These ones are a little bit more in line with, you know, your average uh, flagship device. I think Google's sort of gotten away from some of the you know the cost cutting features that they had on the previous devices to make these a little bit more uh, on the same playing field at least as the other flagships in the Android space. Yeah. Uh, the thing I, I was probably most excited about, John, was the Google Pixel Watch. Uh, and it, it looks kind of cool. They've uh, obviously married Fitbit technology. They bought Fitbit uh, back a little while uh, ago. Uh, so it's got uh, all the health tracking and exercise uh, tracking features uh, built into it that you would expect now, like heart rate monitoring. Uh, it's got the built-in ECG. Uh, it will have fall detection kind of like the Apple Watch uh, coming in 2023 uh, to the uh, the Pixel uh, Watch. Uh, of course, uh, all-day battery life built into it. Uh, they've done a partnership with Adidas. Uh, you know, Apple's done it with Nike. Um, so kind of um, trying, to, trying to match, I guess, a lot of the features of the Apple Watch when it comes down to it. Yeah, because, I mean... They're the they're the horse to beat right now uh, in the in the smartwatch game, but they've got some pretty good um, backing, you know, like you said, with the the support from Fitbit, and uh, so I think those people that 
really care about, you know, fitness and uh, health tracking and stuff like that, they're going to have a really good experience with this watch. It's from uh, Google directly as well. So they're going to get all the updates and things like that in a timely fashion. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's nice to see another player uh, on, on the, on the playing field. I think it's good. And it'd be nice to see if they could kind of, uh, retain consistency or continuity with this watch. I think the one thing that Apple's had going for their watch is that they've kind of kept the same form of the watch, even though they've updated it, uh, you know, as far as features and speed, uh, they've even made kind of bigger screens as well, but it's still kind of the same form and the watch bands still work, even though, you know, they've made, made like bigger screen versions of it. So it's something like I'd like to see Google do with their pixel watch as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I I do like the round face that it has, and you know it looks like a like a, a traditional watch. We're gonna have to take a uh, another break here. When we come back, we're going to be uh, chatting about cables. I know, not too exciting, but uh, for Apple users, I think change is in the air. We're probably all familiar with the the Lightning connector, which was kind of groundbreaking uh, at the time. USB C came, which kind of copied a lot of the features of what the lightning cable could do. Uh, but now the European Union, they're trying to reduce electronic waste. They want all manufacturers using the same cable connectors now, the USB-C standard. And we'll tell you what that uh, all means for Apple, not only in Europe, but around the world. Here's still lots to talk about. Uh, later on, we'll be chatting about Amazon. They've got a new payment feature if you're buying uh, stuff on their website. Good or bad? Well, we'll get into that. Uh, we're going to talk about cables now. Not always the most exciting thing to talk about, but it's kind of an interesting development happening over in Europe. The European Union is uh, has approved uh, the USB-C rule for 2024 uh, that basically is going to mandate that uh, electronic device manufacturers use USB-C ports on all phones, tablets, digital cameras, headphones, headsets, earbuds, portable speakers. I could go on, on, on and on, John, like even keyboards and mice and navigation systems. So um, they have to support the standard. So the one kind of holdout there would be Apple with their lightning connector. Yeah, this is a, you know, <laughs> it's a weird, it's a weird place for a government to mandate how a manufacturer manufactures their product. And the overarching goal has always been to reduce e-waste. But if they were to get rid of the lightning connector, well, what's going to happen to all the lightning cables? Uh, that's that's e-waste, John. <laughs> but I mean, at, at some point, Apple's going to move away from the lightning connector. Do you know what I mean? Like like they did with their 30-pin connector. Do you remember when that happened? Everyone, yeah. lo- everyone lost their minds. But it was the right move, yeah, right? Because at, but at the time micro usb was the standard for everything else yeah and there's really not a lot you can do with micro usb compared to what you could do with uh, a lightning connector or USB C. you have much more bandwidth you have much more data um and and power options uh with these other uh, standards so it makes sense and apple's already moved to USB C on their laptops they've moved to it on their ipads or almost all their ipads um but it makes sense to have one cable i mean i the thing I'm really annoyed about is that my Apple TV can only be the remote port can only be charged by a lightning cable. Yeah. So I have to have one near my TV, which I don't normally have, uh, cause I have wireless charging pads in my living room for my phones and 
it's just kind of silly. Um, but we know why Apple hasn't migrated to it because they licensed their technology to the cable manufacturers. Yeah, and all the um, the accessory manufacturers that want to connect to Apple iPhones, they have to pay to have that. Yeah, so it's a really great revenue stream for them. Not anymore. <laughs> the European <laughs> the European Union uh, claims that it'll help consumers save up to two hundred and fifty million euros a year on unnecessary charger purchases. I don't know where they come up with those numbers. That might be the case. I don't know. But, uh, you know, you, you have to think, John, like if you look in your drawer, how many different chargers and cables do you have right now? True. I mean, you and I are probably a weird edge case because of what we do for a living. But the average person probably already has this. Ironically, was it Brazil that's basically suing Apple for not including a charger? Yeah. Um, like the charging so, block. I mean, yeah. Yeah, like these companies or these countries can't even sort of figure that part out. And because it, it's politicians making a call in this case. And I, I completely disagree with the amount of unnecessary charging block and cable purchases that people would have to do in a, in a given year in the EU. I think that's baloney because especially with USB-C, everybody has multiple ways of charging things. I do like the fact that we're all going towards a, a common standard. But it's only going to be a common standard for so long until there's the next cable format that's going to replace it because there's some new feature or magical thing that we can't live without that's going to force us to change everything else that way. Um, the other challenge, too, is some of these devices, um, there's just not a lot of room for what's needed for USB-C connector. You know, in some of these small uh, Internet of Things devices, smart home tech, that kind of thing, those things, you know, they're cheap and inexpensive for you to deploy around your house because the, they're using slightly older tech, not necessarily the bleeding edge USB-C connector that, that uh, the government wants you to use. Yeah, and, and uh, it's interesting, John. Like I look at Apple right now, they're kind of already using USB-C in a lot of cases. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, in their, their iPads, uh, iPad Pros. Uh, but they, they have kind of moved away in the, in the MacBooks, haven't they? They've gone back to their kind of MagSafe chargers. Yeah, but you can still use a regular USB-C to charge it. That's the that's what I love about it. Like I have a, a GAN charger that I keep in my bag to take to work so I can charge my phone and my laptop with one charger. And at my desk at home, I have my MagSafe connector. But if I'm away from my desk, I can still just use any old USB-C cable plugged into my laptop to keep it topped up. Again, we're talking about uh, the European Union. Uh, they're mandating that all uh, electronic device manufacturers go to this new, uh, well, it's not totally new, but the USB-C standard. Uh, you know, obviously the advantage is, John, kind of like the lightning connector, no matter which way you plug it in, it just kind of plugs in. Uh, I'm kind of looking forward to it, John, because I'm living in this kind of crazy hybrid world where I've got lightning connectors, I've got um, thing like USB-C to USB-A. You know what I mean? Like, it'll just be nice when it's just one freaking cable. I won't have like yeah. 20 cables in my drawer. It's also interesting to note that this is also going to be extended to laptops uh, from the spring of 2026. Yeah. Because that's one thing that I... Just starting to see more manufacturers go with a USB-C charging option because it's just easier. Yeah. But getting rid of the giant brick that you need to charge a typically a Windows laptop and uh, being able to just use a USB-C connector is fantastic for that. So um, it's also worth noting, though, that this does come into effect uh, next year, but Apple actually has two years to comply from that. So they could take their time or they could go all in on next year's uh, 
product cycle. And, you know, the question is, will they just make a, a different version for Europe? I doubt it, John, just because of all the supply chain uh, issues. They would basically, in my opinion, um, just mandate that through the entire world for all their devices. Well, I mean, I, I, I would tend to agree with you on that. But then we saw what happened with the 14, uh, iPhone 14 in the U.S. They're making a different version of it that doesn't have a SIM tray for SIM cards anymore because they're going all in on the eSIM, but not in the rest of the world. So they seem to have figured out that supply chain issue. Good point. Good point. Well, I think uh, for many of our listeners uh, that do buy things online, Amazon would probably be one of the uh, more popular sites. Uh, actually, John, I think I have uh, subscriptions to Amazon Prime in Canada and the U.S. because I, <laughs> I live right near the uh, the border. <laughs> Uh, much to my detriment. Uh, it looks like uh, Amazon Canada now has a monthly payment uh, program going live. So I guess uh, how it works, basically, uh, they've partnered with a company called Affirm. Uh, you can break up your purchase uh, into, I guess, 18 equal monthly payments. You think that's a good thing, John? Um, yeah, I, I, I do. I mean, it allows people to sort of decide how they want to pay for things. The thing is, we're seeing a lot more credit card companies offering these services uh, by default. Uh, when you make a large charge, for example, like say you're buying some kind of consumer electronics, you're buying a laptop, you're buying a, a camera or a drone or something like that. Um, it's interesting, though, you can actually choose how what kind of plan you get with this service. So you can actually have, you can chop it up into three payments or you can do it as long as 48 payments. But you are paying an interest on this, and sometimes your credit card might have a better or lower interest rate. And depending on the on the, the company selling the product as well, like Apple, for example, which is often used as an example, like you can take a, a Series Seven Apple Watch, which is about you know four hundred and fifty bucks. You can divide it into eighteen uh, monthly payments of twenty nine dollars. So that's much more affordable than having to drop $400, but you're actually paying a fair bit more. You can also go directly to Apple and buy that same watch for no interest using Apple's uh, payment plan service. So I think this is just giving consumers more options, especially for some of the bigger ticket electronic items. Uh, and, and they don't want to have to drop that money all up front uh, on their card or however they're paying for it. Uh, well, the payment plans apparently are anywhere from three to 48 months, 48 months. But John, it's the interest rates that kind of concern me. Um, like you said, if you go with Apple, a lot of cases you can get 0%. Uh, but uh, the rates that they're charging here are anywhere from 10 to 30%, which is like mind blowing. Yeah. And strangely, Apple uses the same service, but I think Apple is helping to uh, fund the, the interest rate side of things because... It's 0% with Apple if you buy it directly from Apple, but you buy the same device on Amazon. You, you Like you said, you could be paying quite a premium for it, um, but maybe it just depends on on how your um, financial situation is set up. Um, I think it's a good thing because there is some pretty expensive things you can buy on Amazon. You know, it's not just toilet paper and, uh, um, uh, you know, video games and DVDs and stuff like that. It's some of the big ticket electronic stuff, TVs and uh, very large things, very expensive things. I'm going to put my toilet paper purchase on a 48-month payment plan. Uh, I'm just concerned. Like, it's just, do you know, 
so many people use Amazon for shopping. I'm just concerned that it's just gonna, I don't know, create more problems just with well, these with these crazy interest rates. Yeah, I mean, some of this stuff should be capped. I mean, 30% interest is pretty ridiculous. Um, but I suspect that's on a shorter term loan. So you're really probably paying it the same amount uh, over time. Yeah. But it's, um, as I, I haven't used it through Amazon yet. And I just started to notice it there now. Um, I, I hope it's really transparent as to, you know, what these terms are, what you're actually paying. Cause I think if people see what they're actually paying, they may not opt for this. Uh, if it does trigger that 30% um, interest rate, <laughs> you know that it will. <laughs> I guess it just yeah. depends on provincial laws, like like how high of rates they can charge uh, for for certain things. But that's my concern, John. Like people, all of a sudden, like, oh, hey, I can spread this laptop payment out over like two years or or three years, but you know they're going to be just paying these exorbitant interest rates. But I guess, I mean, that stuff is everywhere, anyways. Right now, like a lot of the big um, box stores, they have their own credit cards and the interest rates are crazy on there. Like I look at the Home Depot uh, card that I have, yeah. like the interest rates are insane. Like I think they're hovering up near 30% as well. Yeah. Well, I, I know because not too long ago, I actually bought uh, the new DJI drone on Amazon because they were the first ones to actually have it. I actually got it early. From, I got it like a, two weeks ahead of the release date, strangely. Um, and I didn't want to pay... The, I think it was like $1,300 upfront. And my credit card actually gives you the option to like, okay, well, here's your $1,300, $1,300 charge. How do you want to pay for this? You can just do it all in one and just add it to your bill, or you can do it over three months, six months, or 12 months in payments. And it clearly shows you what the interest rate is and how much you're going to be charged. I forget what I, what I chose, but I basically wanted to sort of make it less painful uh, on a, on a monthly basis. And, uh, but it was not 30%. Right, it was much lower than that, and it just gets added to my monthly minimum payment for my credit card, and I don't even really think about it. Well, we'll see how it all goes. Let's uh, talk about uh, cryptocurrencies, John. Um, they've had a big fall over the <laughs> the past uh, year here, but still, a lot of people are uh, purchasing cryptocurrencies or making purchases with cryptocurrency. But it's it's difficult because there's hundreds. And hundreds, maybe even thousands of different types of cryptocurrencies. Uh, you know, obviously we we know Bitcoin, uh, but there's also Ethereum and just so many more. And it's sometimes difficult to know which ones are, are safe and which aren't. There's also hundreds, if not thousands of places to buy these various cryptos from. So uh, one of the challenges that we've seen is that it actually can be kind of cumbersome to set up a wallet to be able to purchase these things and having to pair it with your, uh, your bank or whatever other way you're planning to finance your purchases of cryptocurrencies. Well, it looks like uh, MasterCard, uh, they're looking uh, for ways to make that uh, safer. Uh, they've uh, introduced something called their Crypto Secure Service, uh, which they say is uh, meant to boost trust in crypto purchases purchases. Uh, they're using artificial intelligence uh, from a company called CypherTrace. Uh, this is a, a blockchain security firm that MasterCard bought back in 2021 that uh, actually gives you uh, what they call a risk profile for uh, these digital asset providers uh, to help uh, people 
decide whether or not to approve transactions, which I think is kind of uh, a step in the right direction, John. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, assuming you want to use your credit card to purchase these things. But um, but yeah, anything that can make it easier. And you know, we are seeing, despite the crash, like you mentioned, still there's still a lot of activity in the crypto space and people you know are looking at this as an opportunity to get into it because the the valuations are so low well uh something definitely uh, to have a look at if uh, you are uh, in the crypto space uh, looking to buy any of these uh, cryptocurrencies uh, john i, I want to give a shout out to our sister show uh get connected uh, it's on saturdays uh, across the uh, chorus uh, radio network and uh, we had uh, a great uh, program. Uh, we talked uh, uh, about uh, uh, a lot of uh, the, the Google announcements uh, as uh, well. Uh, and uh, also uh, Tesla and their humanoid uh, robot <laughs> that they're uh, unveiling. So uh, definitely something uh, to, uh, to look out for. Are you ready for the robots, John? Oh, I've been ready for them for a while. <laughs> and you'd have one in your home. Well, yeah, it, it depends. I mean, everyone has this ideal of the Jetsons, right? Yeah. And I don't think we're quite there yet. No. There has to be a balance between creepy and helpful. Well, also uh, in Get Connected, uh, we're going to talk about the metaverse and what some of the uh, tech leaders are thinking about it. Like, is this a thing? How do you define it? Where is it going? You'll be surprised uh, at some of the uh, answers uh, there as well. To get more info about uh, the app show here and Get Connected, uh, we do have our website, getconnectedmedia.com. You can listen to the programs there, subscribe to the podcast uh, versions uh, as well. And we've got lots of great videos uh, happening too. So uh, if you want uh, the latest uh, iPhone reviews uh, or how-to videos, We've got them uh, up there and links to our YouTube channel as well. I do have to thank all the folks that helped put the program together, including uh, John, my co-host and producer, and uh, Robin back uh, at the studio uh, as well. We'll see you again next time.